0: Welcome to The Strange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. There's a lot to learn by studying the surfaces of Jupiter's moons. Now Jupiter is the largest planet in our solar system, but its moons are some of the most fascinating. We look at Europa, which is covered in an icy shell that might be way more dynamic than we thought previously. Plus, we find out about Io's sand dunes, potentially on its surface, and how they're formed by a combination of volcanic and sulfur activity. This week, we dive into Jupiter's moons. If you look anywhere in our solar system, aside from Earth, and you want to try and find life, most people would pick Europa as the probably most likely candidate. Now, this Jupiter moon is one that we know is covered in a thick ice shelf, an icy shell. But underneath that, we are certain that there is large amounts of water. Now, of course, when we're looking for life, we look for water because we know that life can form in water. That's just how we found all life here on Earth in some way or another related to water. Now, it's possible that in the universe somewhere, there's another way of forming that doesn't involve warm up. And that's certainly true, but when we go to look for life that we can possibly understand, well, we think of needing a lot of water. And Europa definitely meets that criteria. And therefore, Europa is one of the most fascinating and intriguing possibilities of study. It's also not that far away, but it's not close either, and it's got a big guardian Jupiter around it. There's also some pretty strange things that happen on this icy surface that scientists are trying to get to the bottom of. Now, in a new paper published in Nature Communications, researchers Kulberg, Schroeder, and Steinbrugger have been investigating something here on Earth in Greenland. In fact, that can help us better understand the potential for life to form not just deep underneath this thick ice shelf on Europa, but perhaps inside that shelf itself. By looking at the phenomenon that we see both on Europa and here on Earth, that of a double ridge in these icy shelves. Now as far as we can understand with radar imaging this icy shell that surrounds Europa could be as much as you know tens of kilometers thick. Now we don't know in detail across how dense it is all the way through but based on the data that we have it's varying in thickness at least from one or two kilometers to even to tens of kilometers and that's a pretty daunting thing to think about maybe getting underneath of. But it seems and we have more and more evidence now to say that this icy shell might be less of a a fixed rigid barrier in the way that they say Earth's crust is and more dynamic in the way that actually the Earth's crust really is. A dynamic system of changing and one that actually could potentially be habitable in its own right. Now to do this it revolves using ice penetrating radar observations that were studying features that they see on Europa as well as features in Greenland and in this particular type of feature the researchers have shown that you can end up with water Pockets. Now when there's pockets of water, liquid water, that means you still have the chance for life to form. Now this is a pretty amazing thing because well we know it's pretty active on that planet and there's possibility of volcanic activity from we see that on Io and other moons that you know it's potentially that there are pockets of water inside the shell. If the surface is dynamic and moved around as much in the way that say Io's surface is shaped and moulded by Jupiter, then perhaps we can have water not just underneath that icy shelf but perhaps inside of it now on earth researchers looked at the polar regions using airborne geophysical instruments to understand how much the growth and the retreat of the ice sheets may impact sea level rise this is important thing to study as it relates to climate change but as we're talking about ice sheets it's also important to europa which is covered in icy sheets as well now much of this study of ice sheets occurs where there's an ice sheet above land and that has the flow of the ice sheets being subjected to complex hydrology. Subglacial lakes, surface melt ponds, seasonal drainage, contrast, all kinds of weird things that can if you're trying to predict the sea level rise really mess up your models. Now on Europa we don't really know too much about this subsurface ocean. We know there's an ocean there but we don't really know much more about it and how deep it is or what makes it up. So What they saw on Europa, though, was formations that streak the icy moon that looked extremely similar to a type of formation that is quite common on the surface of Greenland Ice Sheet. And that's good because the Greenland Ice Sheet has been really studied in detail. Now, the starters are actually, like Schroeder, were actually studying, looking for climate change modelling, and they ended up saying, oh, hey, actually, we found something that's pretty similar on Europa. And all of a sudden, this M-shaped crest feature on this double ridge on Greenland actually could be a miniature version of one of the most prominent features that you see on Europa. Double ridges where you have a crest and then a valley and then a crest and then a valley are uh, reaching nearly, you know, 300, 400 meters in height and uh, and really wide around, you know, 400 meters again, wide. These are amazing, huge, just massive phenomena of crests and valleys on the surface of this ice sheet on Europa that make it really stunning and startling to look at. Now, researchers know that if you look at Greenland, you actually see something similar on a smaller scale. NASA's Operation Ice Bridge, which was studying these phenomena on Earth, actually could give a lot of data on how these form on the northwest region of Greenland, where the ice fractured around a pocket of pressurized liquid water that was then refreezing inside the ice sheet. That then pushes up and creates these peaks to rise to this distinctive shape. So in Greenland, this double ridge forms in a place where water from the subsurface lakes and streams frequently drains onto the surface and then refreezes. That's what Kuhlberg, a PhD student in electrical engineering at Stanford, sort of outlines, one of the authors of this paper. One way that similar shallow water pockets could form on Europa might be through water through subsurface ocean being forced up into the icy shelf through fractures. That would suggest there could be a reasonable amount of exchange happening from underneath the ice shelf into the ice shelf itself. Now, this is a really complex thing to think about, but it makes a lot of sense. If you have a a large object like an ice sheet, it's not likely that it's going to be one massive inert lump, uniformly thick it's going to have variation and it's going to be pulled and tugged and changed by gravitational forces around it from, you know, Jupiter, as well as subsurface forces as well. So there's all kinds of geological and hydrological processes that could crack, fracture and force up water in and out of all of these ice shelves. Uh, If a dynamic ice shelf like this actually would really support life because it facilitates the exchange between the subsurface ocean and nutrients from other areas that end up on the surface of Europa, things that get ejected by the volcanic eruptions of Io, for example. There's a lot of stuff that can build up minerals and nutrients on the surface of Europa that then gets recycled down into the subsurface ocean. So these are pretty interesting. So we've known about these double ridges for around 20 years, and basically from our early images of Europa. And it's great that we're now actually to understand through analogues here on Earth, what they might tell us about the surface of Europa itself and how we could try and study it in more detail. Now, of course, ultimately, we really wanna have a more detailed mission that goes to Europa and does more detailed observations. But even then, trying to build that mission, to build that deeper understanding, we need to think about what it might actually be happening on that surface. What are we going to look for and what questions are we gonna ask if we send a probe there? This is a really important part about planning space missions. We need to have an idea of where to look so we can design the right instruments to place on these devices. If the surface and the ice is actually so dynamic, then that suggests there's a lot of things we actually want to be looking for. Small pockets of water, perhaps. Melts and re-melts and movements. So there's a lot of interesting things that could be investigated as, as a result of this paper and these findings, published in the General Geophysical Communications with authors Gubberg, Strode and Steinbruger. Now when you picture a science fiction planet, most of the time you're probably picturing a uniform bio. And that's probably because movies like Star Wars and Star Trek have ingrained this in you. But planets are more complex than that. They end up with regions of different features depending on heating and cooling and other atmospheric effects planets aren't necessarily normally just uniform. You have regions and non-regions. Even if you look at something like the moon, you have the mare, these darkened regions of these craters, and you have other regions which are more lighter. So there's regional variation just in itself of the moon. Now when we look at moons of Jupiter as well, there's perhaps also some pretty interesting variations occurring there. And that's what some researchers have published in the journal Nature Communication, a detailed study on Jupiter's innermost moon, Io. Now, researchers including McDonald, Mendez-Hapa, Hoja, Holales, Dufek, Iving, and Kerber. And what they were looking at is whether or not, in fact, the surface of Io, Io, could be a June world. Now, of course, dunes don't mean it's covered with melange, the spice that must flow from, you know, the famous book series and movie, Dune. No, by that they mean it's got grains grains of sand or rock that could form dunes. Dunes are really interesting because they are an amazing and dynamic system, one that requires careful modeling and understanding. And look, it's looked by these researchers like it's possible and they proposed and tested a mechanism by which sand grains could move and in turn dunes could be forming there. Now, a dune if you want to think of a really fancy definition, uh, hills or ridges of sand piled up by wind. And when scientists look at previous studies of Io, they, they describe its surface containing some dune-like ridges and features, but they, they concluded that ridges couldn't be dune because there would be no wind that is strong enough to actually form a dune, to blow it into the shape that sort of ends up with that, that beautiful cresting and troughing that you end up when you have dunes. That happens when you have strong winds forming the sand into these shapes. If you don't have a strong wind, like you might not have, well, and especially if the atmosphere is a low density, it means it wouldn't really theoretically be possible to formulate dunes. But researchers like McDonald and others used a detailed image analysis of around the 14 years of data from Galileo mission to actually really in detail understand what was happening on the surface. And see if it could be possible for actually dunes to form. Maybe not like you would have on Arrakis from the story Dune, but maybe like we have here on Earth. Now, the Galileo mission lasted from 89 to 2003 and was one of the most detailed missions of studying the, the Jovian moons, and gave us a lot of data. That data that is still being pulled over today and finding new things. So that's 20 years after the, the, the end, let's say, of that mission. We're still getting data, new insights out of that initial mix. Now, on the surface of you know, we have to think about what it's actually made of and that's what the research is really diving into in this case They were trying to understand model and analyze what happens on the surface of Io, and whether or not it's possible for dunes to form there now One of the major things they learned from the data is that there's a lot of volcanic activity on air That's what we learned originally went through the Galileo mission, but the volcanoes are actually continually just reshaping the surface of that world there's so much volcanic activity, and this, the crust of that is of, uh, such in flux that the, basically the, the level is just being wiped over over and over and over again. So its surface is a mix of black solidified lava flows and, and sand flowing down almost in lava streams and, and snows of sulfur dioxide. Now, when you try and model all of these things together, as crazy as they are, you can simulate the forces of a single grain of basalt or frost and then calculate out its path, what happens to that particle. When lava flows into sulfur dioxide beneath the moon's surface, it gets vented out, vents out at least some of the densest objects, and the grains can also start to get pushed along. This would make it theoretically possible for all these venting and subduction sort of elements to then create enough force to force these shapes to occur, these dunes. One of the, once the researchers thought about a mechanism which by a dune could be formed, they started to look for examples of, from the eye mission, if, if there's anywhere that actually would show that it's actually possible. So they turned to the photos in the Galileo missions, and they started to measure the spacings of the crests and the width to height ratios. And what they observed there were the, they were very similar to what we see here for dunes here on Earth. So, okay, maybe that's a good sign that dunes are actually possible. And it aligned with what their models were predicting about how you could actually get dunes to form. Now, if you want to think about it another way, instead of relying on wind, they're relying on lava streams and snows of sulfur dioxide. And then the subduction of the sulfur dioxide flows underneath the moon surface, venting out its dense and fast moving particles to push and form these dunes. There's a pretty crazy mechanism for forming a sandra. It doesn't rely on wind at all, but it is certainly possible. Now, with anything on Io's surface, it's of course only temporary because it's not going to be too long until the next eruption occurs and wipes it out. But that's very similar to how a sand dune works. A sand dune sculpted by wind and water. Now, on Io, it's actually sculpted by lava and sulfuric snow, but that's just another mechanism for shaping the actual dunes themselves. The surface of Io is is really truly fascinating and is completely remade almost regularly, and it's what you get for being so close to Jupiter. But for scientists, there's still so much more we can learn by studying the data collected by missions from the past and and planning missions into the future. There's a great paper published in the journal Nature Communications with authors McDonald, Mendes, Harper, Osha Colales, Dufek, Ewing, and Kerber. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From sand dunes on Io being totally reshaped by the volcanic forces there, to how Europa's ice sheet could be also very dynamic and constantly changing. This is what we found out about Jupiter's moons. Our ending theme was composed by AudioNatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.